Good morning. Well, this morning, as uh, Travis said, they, they asked me to come and preach a, a sermon. And so we'll be taking a hiatus from our summer psalm series, and I'll be speaking out of the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, to be specific. And so that's where we're going to be anchored today in Mark 10. And to give us a little bit of background here, the Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel account that we have. It's written by Mark, and it frequently describes the initiative and power of Jesus. And so when we arrive at chapter 10 of Mark, Jesus is in Judea, a Jewish community. And in the first 12 verses of the chapter, we see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. And they're testing him about the law, and specifically a question about divorce in the law. And from there, in the next four verses, we see Jesus blessing little children. They're, they're bringing small children to them, and... He actually rebukes them for trying, like when they were trying to deny the little children to come to him. And from there, we come to our passage today of Mark 10, uh, verses 17 through 22. And we're going to see Jesus' interaction with a young man in our passage. And we'll see that this young man in particular, where he finds his identity. And the identity being a, a place where we find our sense of worth and security, our sense of being. And we'll see how Jesus responds to that. And so let's read this passage in its entirety, and then we'll just begin washing ourselves with each verse. So Mark 10, verses 17 through 22. And he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The grass withers, the flower fades. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would bless the public reading of your written word here that it would edify us, that it would build up our congregation and unity and love, and that it would transform and empower us to perform good works in Manhattan. Lord, for those of us that this story is familiar, uh, please give us fresh eyes to see it anew and tender hearts to receive its meaning again. Please prevent us from treating this story casually because of its familiarity. And for those of us that this story is new, I ask that it would burn itself upon our imagination, that it would never leave us. So, Father, as I deliver your words this morning, I ask that your Spirit would empower me to open the Word and teach it plainly and accurately so that all of us can see your Son, Jesus. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So my first point today is that identity is foundational, so we're all in search of it. Right? Questions of identity carry the greatest weight in our lives. 
and they form the unseen inertia that, that drives our lives forward day by day, like gasoline in an engine that moves a car or food in your stomach that powers your body. Our identities are foundational to who we are and who we will become and how we will get there. And so because they're foundational, we're always searching for a meaningful identity to build our lives upon. All right, this is why uh, the first question that we often ask someone when we first meet them is, well, what do you do? All right, the, the, the implicit question there is, who are you? All right, if, if you know what they do, then you can have an, a basic idea of what their daily life is like, their daily experiences, or what they ha have done in the past to get where they are today. All right, so if, if you could imagine you know, being in your workplace and a new coworker comes in and uh, you say, hey man, what do you do around here? And he would respond with the word, nothing. I do nothing, right? It would, it would catch you off guard. You would, you would be shocked. It, it, you'd be like, well, you didn't, that can't be possible, right? Because implicit in that question of what do you do is who are you? And he didn't really get to that, right? He didn't tell you what he did, what, what his life consisted of. Right? Or if, you know, if he responded with something, if you asked him, like, uh, what do you do? And he said, I breathe. All right? like, once again, it, it, it wouldn't resonate with you because, well, everyone does that. Right? Like, everyone breathes. So what do you do? Right? The, the, he isn't getting to the answer of the identity question of who you are. And so when we come to these verses today, we, we get to eavesdrop in on a conversation about identity. Right? The, the stage is set in the opening exchange between Jesus and this man. Right? There, there are crowds around Jesus, and, and a man comes running to Jesus, asking the question of questions. Right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do, who must I become, to be worthy of eternal life? And it's a striking scene, right? Because it's, it's a grown man running and kneeling before Jesus who's a complete stranger because he has a question of what he must do to become someone who's worthy of eternal life. And from what we know about Jewish customs and what we learn later on in this passage, this scene becomes all the more striking because this man has great wealth. He already had an identity marker that would have garnered him authority and power in Jewish society. So for him to be running in public it would have been a scene of indignity, right? If you could imagine the equivalent today would be a celebrity sprinting across a red carpet at the Emmys, right? You'd be left wondering, what is going on, right? That's, that's what's happening here in this opening scene. <coughs> and, it, and it tells us that this man's desperate to have his question answered. Right? He's, he's not testing Jesus here. He's sincere in his question. He's not like the Pharisees that we would have seen in the early part of this chapter. And so that, that tells us that the question of who we are, it mattered then just as much as it matters today. Right? The, the question of who we are, the question of our identity is a universal question for mankind. And so I, I want to draw you into what this man must have been experiencing a little more here. So put yourself in his shoes, right? When was the last time that you had a burning question like that? 
a question you just had to know the answer to, one that was keeping you awake at night. I'd be willing to bet that it was a question that directly affected your identity, who you are or who you will become. Perhaps it was something like, what should I major in or where should I live? When will the army give me new orders or when will my husband return home from deployment? Um, should I buy this house or not? Will I have enough money to pay the bills? Right, these are all questions of identity. Right? If, if you don't have enough money to pay the bills, then you're no longer a homeowner. You are homeless. Right? You, your identity fundamentally changed. So let's look again at verses 18 and 19 and see how Jesus responds and let's break it down. <coughs> and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Right? Like, if you're anything like me, you're, you're kind of thinking, what? Jesus, this man is confused. He's, he's seeking for answers. Why, why are you doing that? Why are you answering his question with a question? <laughs> and then why are you quoting the back half of the Ten Commandments? Right, this isn't quite the answer that, that I expected when I initially read. <coughs> right, if, if I'm in the K-State Union and the, the young, a young man comes running up to me, and he's like, Samuel, how can I inherit eternal life? Right, I work for crew. We have a track for this, right? Like, like law one, right? Like, I'm going to help answer his question. But that's not what Jesus does. So we have to ask, like, why? Why, why is Jesus taking the long way? Right? When, when identity is such a confusing thing and we need clarity, why does Jesus take the long way to answer this young man's question? <coughs> Well, the reason is, is, is Jesus is helping this man see himself with clarity. Right? He's bringing clarity to his identity. Because we live in a world where our identities are, are constantly under attack or at the very least being pressured or contested, we all need clarity on who we are. So by starting his response with the question of, why do you call me good? Jesus is drawing this man in and forcing him to wrestle with what is true goodness? And by extension, he's forcing him to wrestle with Jesus' identity. It's as if Jesus is whispering, do you really know who I am? You call me good, but have you really thought through the implications of that? Because if I'm good and God alone is good, then you're standing in the presence of God which for any self-aware person would make you wonder, who am I to be standing in the presence of God? And just to make it abundantly clear, Jesus gives him an outward litmus test to see if his life really reflects God's law. Right? That's why Jesus quotes the back half of the Ten Commandments there. He's, he's giving him something tangible to measure himself by. Right? Jesus is, is fundamentally pulling at the question below the question here, and he's, he's asking him three things. 
Who do you say that I am? Who are you? And how do you know you are who you say you are? And I'd argue that we're, we're all still trying to answer those questions. But sadly, uh, many of us and our friends and family, we're, we're trying to answer those questions of who we are and how we know that apart from knowing who Jesus is. And so we're desperately searching for a justification of that answer without an actual standard, Jesus. I mean, this is glaringly obvious in the realm of social media. I mean, this is why we have entire social media platforms dedicated for propagating ourselves, right, our own identity. Facebook is a, a digital book about your face, and Instagram is an instant measurement, right, a gram, a unit of measurement of your life compared to everyone else, right? That, that is what social media is. It's who are you and how do you measure up to everyone else, all jammed into one continuous news feed, right? Which is why we're always, no one gets off social media and thinks, I feel better about my life, right? It, it never happens because you're just left in a haze of confusion. It's just a mess. <coughs> and, and that's why Jesus takes the long way, right? He's, he's trying to help this young man see himself for who he truly is. And so, thank you. And so in verse 20, when, when he responds and he says, teacher, all of these I've, I've kept from my youth. There's a tremendous amount of irony here, right? This is the same young man who, who's looking for the answer to how can I inherit eternal life? And when Jesus responds with the standard of God's goodness and God's holy commands, he assumes that he's already met the standard, which would logically mean that he already possessed eternal life. Now, Eternal life doesn't seem like something that you would possess and not know about it. So before we simply write this young man off as proud, we have to ask, well, how did he get there? Well, and the answer is self-deception. Right? He, he's deceived himself. He, he thinks he's better than he really is. And so in deceiving himself, he loses his identity and he forges a counterfeit in its place where he looks better than he really is. And so Jesus responds to this counterfeit and he calls his bluff. I mean, look at verses 21 and 22 here, how it all ends. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Right? And this leads to my third point, that identity is, is found in the creator or the created. Right? Jesus responds to this young man's pride with love. And it's Jesus' love for him that causes him to push the young man to the heart of the law. Right? Jesus forces this young man's hand by making him see himself for who he truly is in light of God's law. And he does that, notice, he does that by calling him to obey the two greatest commandments. 
right? In his first response, he pushes him to the, the old, to the Ten Commandments that we find in Exodus 20 in the Old Testament. But in his second response, right, he calls him to love God and love neighbor, right? We see that because Jesus can say, you lack one thing, right? And then he gives him the two commands. Go sell that all you have and give to the poor. Go love your neighbor as yourself and come follow me, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Jesus calls this young man to rightly order his loves and, and challenges him to examine himself, to see if he's obeyed the law perfectly from the heart. Not merely externally, but internally as well. Right? He, he causes him to look and say, have you really kept that? Is that who you really are, that you've kept the law perfectly from the heart? And for the first time, this, this young man, he sees himself for who he truly is. And he realizes that he's not worthy of eternal life, that he doesn't measure up to God's standard of goodness. And he's faced with a choice, rooting his identity in Jesus and being a follower of his, or rooting his identity in his own possessions. And sadly, he decides to keep the identity that he already has. Right? Our passage says that he went away sorrowful. Right? The, the word sorrowful there is, is the same word used to describe Judas's remorse for betraying Jesus in Matthew 27.3. Right? This, this young man knew what he was giving up, but he loved his possessions more than the identity of being a disciple of Jesus. It's a, it's a sobering story. I was talking to Brian this morning about it. In many ways, this, this is a New Testament lament. And we're left wondering, what happens to this man? <coughs> Does he, I mean, you can almost imagine him laying on his deathbed, clutching his possessions, knowing that they're not enough. And so with the weight of this story sitting on us, I mean, we, we have to ask, how can we bring this story to bay, bear on our daily lives here in Manhattan? Right? How can we apply this passage of Scripture to our own lives? And there, there are three things that really, I think, we should we put into practice. And the first is identity examination, right? self-examination. I've been working in campus ministry, and this is going on my seventh year, and in all my years of campus ministry, I've had a lot of students confess a myriad of sins to me. But I've never had a, a student confess greed. And I, I point that out because, one, this text is obviously tied to possessions, but two, it's, it's common knowledge, whether you're, you're a Christian or not, that America struggles with materialism. We struggle with greed. And so for all my years, never to hear that confession, it, it tells me that we're self-deceived. Like, we're still wrestling with, we still can't see ourselves accurately. Which means we're going to have to learn to examine ourselves honestly. Right? I, I don't say that to, to lead us to some rabbit trail of morbid introspection. Right? I point that out because throughout this passage, 
Jesus is, is leading this man on a journey of self-discovery. He's, he's helping him find himself. And, and that's a journey that we have to be willing to take ourselves. Scripture calls us to examine our hearts. And so we need to. So we have to ask questions like, where are we presently finding our identity? And is it in our job title or in our inheritance? Is it in our salary or our degree? Is it in our spouse or our children or the education or life that we'll give our children? Right? It could be any good thing from our personal ministry to the actual home we own. But we must self-examine ourselves and ask, are we functionally finding our identity in Jesus or in what we possess, either materially or relationally or otherwise? And we, we need to invite our brothers and sisters to speak into this. And so invite whoever you're closest to in the church to help examine your life. Invite a close friend in the pew next to you to say, where do you think I'm functionally finding my identity at times? Because we, we need to examine ourselves. We need to see ourselves clearly. Here's the, the second way is, well, identity sacrifice. Meaning we need to practice self-sacrifice. Right? It's, it's far too easy to read this passage of scripture and to rationalize away the hard edges. I mean, if I'm honest, when I first read it, I thought, I don't want to preach on that. And then my second thought was, um, Jesus can't really expect us to sell all of our possessions, can he? Like, he really can't mean that. And, and I had to wrestle with it. And the, the answer is no. Like, this passage of Scripture isn't commanding us to, to sell all of our possessions. Right? When we interpret the Bible, we can't always reason directly to a literal application. So like, when we read Jesus' words, come follow me, we, we shouldn't like, take up an itinerant preaching position and move to Israel. Right? That's, not, that's not how it works. But, right, and this is an important but, that doesn't mean we can just rationalize away the, the hard principle here. Our possessions, they are a great indicator of what we love. Right? Our, our bank statements are one way of many that we can tell if we truly are living sacrificial lives. Right? They're great indicators. If, if you walk into my home, you, you will see books because I love to read, right? You, my love is on display in my home. Like, it's, it's really obvious. And so we have to recognize that our wealth will always be a present temptation to find our identity in our possessions, and we need a plan to actually fight that temptation. So that, that starts with first remembering that Jesus' call to this young man to go and sell all of his possessions wasn't hypothetical. Jesus was not bluffing. Right? This was not a theoretical call to complete repentance and holistic discipleship, which means we're called to that same standard of complete repentance and holistic discipleship. And so we need to be willing and we need to be actively selling the possessions of our heart and our lives. And so we, we, we got to put a plan in place to systematically crucify our identity so that our neighbors can see how our identity in Christ is better. And so what that can practically look like is 
Well, using our gifts and possessions to love our neighbor. Right? If you're good with technology, offer help to your neighbor with his tech stuff. If you own a lawnmower, mow your neighbor's lawn. Organize a block party where the, the neighborhood kids can come and play. Right? Make sure your neighbor knows that he can use your tool shed if he's doing home improvement or offer to make a grocery run for that single mother two houses down. Right? Putting other people before yourself is a great way to make sure that you don't let the, the counterfeit identity that you've been constructing become where you find your identity. Right? It's, it's that plan of identity sacrifice over and over and over again. And we, we just have to deal with the reality that sacrificial love and acts of self-sacrifice, seldom are they sexy and rarely are they remembered. And so we, we have to start with something small and concrete and let that build over time. Uh, a few weeks ago, my younger sister Christy, she was graduating from Missouri State University and my entire family packed up and they drove to see her graduate. I'm from a large family, nine kids, so it's, imagine a caravan. And they're driving down to Missouri State, and so right as they were leaving, those large storms rolled in that we experienced a few weeks ago, and it, it knocked out their power. And that complicates things for them because they live on a farm now, and they run off a well, and so when the power goes out, the water goes out. And so my little brother Josh, he couldn't even brush his teeth because right, there's no water and you know they, so they all pile in the van they go on down and in the middle of the ceremony about 10 hours later uh, my grandmother starts systematically calling through every one of their phones and everyone's obviously silencing their phones because they're in the middle of a ceremony and you know after the ceremony my mother goes out and she calls my grandmother she's like you know we're in the middle of a ceremony and my grandmother tells them well, one of your kids left the water on, and when the power kicked back on, it flooded your entire home, right? <laughs> Why do I tell you that? Well, because the, the seemingly inconsequential mundane act of my brother wanting to brush his teeth and him taking a small little 12-year-old hand, flipping up a small faucet and a small bathroom in the middle of the upstairs, right? fundamentally changed the identity of my parents' home, right? From two-story with furnished basement to flood-damaged two-story with swimming pool in the basement, right? It was that small act that altered the identity of the home. And, and that's what our acts of self-sacrifice are like. Small, ordinary, concrete things that over an extended period of time can reform our identities and the identities of others. And, and here's the kicker. Unlike my parents' insurance, which is covering the entire cost of the damage, right, under some clause like children, right, it, there's no deductible with Jesus. Right? And, and that leads to my third application point, which is, we have to embrace a, a gospel-formed identity. Right? Just like this young man in our passage today, Jesus isn't impressed with our past obedience, and he's not requiring us to earn our entrance into the kingdom. 
right? Not long after this interaction with this young man, Jesus would go to the cross and he would die. And three days later, he would be raised again. And so because of that act, we can now receive our identity freely from Christ. And now we get to spend the rest of our days searching out what it means to have an identity that's rooted in the unconditional love of Jesus. So, right, as we practice self-examination and as we practice self-sacrifice, we're promised, because of who we are already in Christ, that he'll be present with us. And so we don't have to practice those things in our own strength. And we know that he will meet us there in the process. Which means that our identity is fundamentally this. Right? That we are a son or daughter of the king. Which means we've been united to Jesus through his death and resurrection. And now Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And so if someone were to come to you and ask, well, how do I inherit the kingdom? You would have to help them see that to inherit the kingdom, well, you have to be a child. You have to be a son or daughter of the king. Your identity has to be that of a son or daughter. And that's only received by grace. So if I were to, to put this sermon in a sentence, it would be this. The Christian life is a call to root our identity in Jesus and not in what we possess because the love of God is better than any love any other identity could ever bring. Pray with me.